so much fascinating stuff to think about and explore when it comes to the early days of young adult literature. The first official YA book was, as I talked about in a previous episode of Hey YA Extra Credit, often cited as Maureen Daly's 17th Summer, published in 1942, right before the Second World War. Though it wasn't until after the war, when the category of fiction for teenagers started to grow, coinciding, of course, with America's burgeoning white middle class and its understanding of teenagers as a demographic with access to time and money. In those changing times came an array of topics that the young adult market dipped into, which reflected sociocultural norms of the era. Catering to white, cisgender, heteronormative, middle-class readers was assumed, and it was reflected in the content of these books. But so were norms that encouraged teenage girls to find partners, to prepare for homemaking, and to get excited about their big days as brides in their dream white weddings. But in those early years were career novels, formulaic stories of girls preparing for jobs outside the home. Career novels began in the 30s and 40s before the label YA really emerged, and these books found their height in readership in the late 40s and 50s, paralleling the rise of teen culture. This is a look at what those career novels were, some of the popular titles, as well as some of the characters who steered these stories. Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit. Every week opposite the main Hayway podcast, we bring you a short form podcast. This week I wanted to do a short deep dive into the career novel, something that has fascinated me since my history of young adult literature class in library school. While these books are mostly out of print and really truly lack any literary merit to encourage them into reprints the same way that 17th Summer remains, they're a curious peek at a really specific time and place in American teen pop cultural history. They were not only an American creation, there was an entire British legacy of career novels for teens also, but this episode will focus primarily on U.S.-specific titles. But first, our sponsor. This episode of Hey YA Extra Credit is sponsored by Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing and Vespertine by Margaret Rogerson. Artisma is training to be a gray sister, a nun who cleanses the bodies of the deceased so that their souls can pass on. When her convent is attacked by possessed soldiers, Artisma defends it by awakening an ancient spirit bound to a saint's relic, a revenant. As she unravels a sinister mystery of saints, secrets, and dark magic, her bond with the revenant grows. And when a hidden evil begins to surface, she discovers that facing this enemy might require her to betray everything she's been taught to believe if the revenant doesn't betray her first. Thank you to Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing and The Vespertine by Margaret Rogerson. As more women entered the workplace post-war, something that was a reality of the time despite how much pressure there was still on white women and girls to serve as homemakers, mothers, and to be excited by partnerships and romance, publishing sought opportunities to reflect this in books for teen girls. Teen girls especially were expected to work in the gap period between graduation and when they got married thus the birth of the career novel. These books, which featured a formulaic structure and frequently recurring characters readers would know by name, were both meant to entertain and to be instructive. The career novel was an opportunity to show adolescent girls what sorts of opportunities existed for them that may never have been available to them before. It's worth emphasizing here again that the audience for the bulk of these books was middle class and upwardly mobile cis straight white teen girls as teens of color and those from lower classes were always expected to work in some capacity. For white teen girls, this was an entirely new world. 
Early examples of career novels leaned heavily into the educational angle, which allowed girls to follow alongside the title heroine as she learned how to do her career and then as she advanced through different aspects of the career and the different possibilities within that field. Typically, the character had just graduated from high school, had moved away from home for the first time, and was going through the motions of creating a life for herself while she waited for bigger things, and that bigger things being marriage and a family. These early career novels often also included a mentor who'd help the protagonist understand the ups and downs of the field she was entering, and may also have included in the book appendices and indexes, glossaries, and other reference material for teens who wanted to learn more about this career field. Many of these books were also part of a series ranging from a couple of titles to long runs, sometimes numbering in the double digits. Careers covered in these books changed over the course of the decades that they existed. So titles in the 30s and 40s featured primarily female-dominated careers such as hairdressers and secretaries. And over the years, they shifted to more splashy types of careers, which were, no surprise, also female-dominated and low pay, uh, including nurses, airline attendants, and teachers. There were others, more rare and novel, which included women who had careers as doctors or lawyers. The inclusion and emphasis on romance that emerged in most of these novels wasn't simply a subplot. They were about the marketability to teen girl readers for sure, but they were also not-so-subtle reminders to teen girls of their greater role in society. They'd be expected to slow down their careers once they took up their real jobs in the house, as well as their prescribed cultural role. Yes, the marketing was growing for career women, but it was a fluke. That proposal meant time to go back home and take up the tasks of domestic management. Was it a fluke, though, or were these books ignoring bigger shifts in society? By the 1970s, career novels essentially vanished from the marketplace. Their run in popularity died alongside the notion that women were expected to be in the house. Though it's clear... From how YA shifted in those years from that heteronormativity was expected, the emphasis that teen girls should be making themselves marriage material had waned, as had the novelty of girls desiring to have a career and a family. We can thank feminism partially, as well as social activism, a rise in the middle class, a boom in the value and drive for education, and perhaps more simply capitalism as a fact of American life. The more people that were in the workplace, the more who could be consumers. What began as seeing teens as a marketable demographic shifted and morphed alongside their own coming of age. Another factor in the disappearance of career novels could be easily attributed to the rise of YA novels more broadly known as quote-unquote problem novels. These two were formulaic, but rather than exploring careers as a central plot, they took a tough topic teens faced and proceeded to create a plot and resolutions which played out like after-school specials. Many consider S.E. Hinton's 1967 The Outsiders to be the first problem novel, and given of that success of a book by a teen for teens, it's no surprise this genre continued to grow. Though career novels as a category or genre disappeared, careers in YA aren't altogether gone. They've just morphed and changed. Some readers and scholars also believe that the career novel found a new iteration in the quote-unquote chiclet genre which emerged in the 90s, though those books, problematic name and all, leaned more toward being romance light in genre. 
So what were some of the career novels? Let's dive into some of the most well-known, as well as some that have become beloved titles on collector shelves, both for their historical depiction, whether accurate or not, of a range of careers, and also for their place in the role of teen books. The most well-known career novels in the U.S. were likely the Cherry Ames series. Launched in 1943 and running until the mid-1960s, the series follows title character Charity, nicknamed Cherry, Ames through 27 volumes as she solves mysteries taking place in the hospital. Ames was a nurse, and the series showcased all the exciting opportunities in the career field and the potential for real adventure while at work. The series with Cherry working at her local hospital begins with her taking part in the Army Nurse Corps and moving to New York and then other cities around the country. Much of the stories are modeled like those of Nancy Drew and throughout the series, Cherry remains independent in her quest to solve these mysteries. This particular series is noteworthy because of its longevity and uh, at one point had a board game. So the 1959 game encouraged players to obtain various levels of nurse training around the board, obtain various colored rings, and to be the first to quote-unquote graduate from school. Throughout the years, Cherry Ames titles have periodically been reprinted for nostalgic purposes. And in the 1990s, there was even a lesbian pulp parody of the series by Mabel Manny starring Cherry Aimless and Nancy Clue. You can probably guess where that story goes. 30 primary titles, as well as a handful of spin-offs, comprise what were known as the Bodley Head Career Novel Series, published by Bodley Head and John Lane, and written by a range of authors. Among some of the titles in this series included Valerie Baxter's Elizabeth, Young Police Officer, Hester, Ship's Officer, and Shirley, Young Bookseller. Author Elizabeth Churchill brought Juliet in Publishing, Pamela Hawken brought Air Hostess Anne, Jane Sheridan penned Amanda and Floristry, while Joan Llewellyn Owens wrote Margaret Becomes a Doctor, Sue Takes Up Physiotherapy, and Diane, Diana Veterinary Assistant. There was also a two-parter from Bertha Lonsdale starring Molly Hilton, the first book is Molly Hilton Library Assistant, followed by Molly Qualifies as a Librarian. It's impossible not to note the very contemporary names of the time, both in the characters and the authors, many of which were likely pseudonyms, and all of them were very white. One of the most successful spin-off series from Bodley was the Sue Barton series, about a nurse, as well as the Carol Theater series following a young actress who works on Broadway, goes on tour, and plays Summer Stock. Both series were penned by Helen Dorr Boylston, and it's especially interesting to see within the Sue Barton series how Sue moves from being a student nurse to a senior nurse, a visiting nurse, a rural nurse, a superintendent nurse, and more through eight volumes of the series. But perhaps more interesting is Boylston, the author. Despite these books reiterating societal norms of love, marriage, and parenthood, she herself never married or had children. She and Rose Wilder Lane, who was the daughter of Laura Ingalls Wilder, were friends in their youth and used to travel together. And Boylston drew much of what she wrote about in nursing from her own experience in the field, both in hospital settings and traveling, as part of the Red Cross during the First World War. She wrote a memoir about that time titled simply Sister, the War Diary of a Nurse, which you can probably track down if you looked hard enough. Though the vast majority of career novels were by and about white people, at least nursing-focused books periodically included girls of color. 
The Mary Ellis series by Hope Newell, published in 1958, features a black adolescent girl as the lead as she studies and prepares to take a career in nursing. Mary Ellis and her friend Julie are the leads in A Cat for Mary Ellis, the first in a duology. After both girls do very well on their qualifying exams, they're invited to be the first black students to attend a prestigious upstate New York program where they indeed encounter racism and prejudice by their white classmates. It took a little work to track down some information about the author Hope Newell, but it appears she was a white author. Career novels were, as mentioned before, also plentiful in the UK, and they included books like the 16-volume series Shirley Flight, Air Hostess, as well as Kit Hunter, Show Jumper, and Sally Baxter, Girl Reporter. Janie Scott authored a four-part series in the early 60s featuring Sarah Gay, Model Girl, also in the UK. For anyone who loves the narrative of the struggling model who just happens to be discovered one day after her unsuccessful attempts to break into the business, this series will tick all those boxes. It includes, of course, some cutthroat girl-against-girl rivalry, and this angle is particularly interesting given that many of the books showcased friendships among girls if there was any relationships with other girls outside the family present in these stories at all. Career novels are long out of vogue, but they're not gone altogether. Readers who love collecting vintage books are fervent in seeking out these career book series, and there are a number of websites dedicated to helping collectors ensure that they have each volume in a series. Some, like the aptly named series books, also offer insight into the relative ease or challenge there is in tracking down these books. A number of these career novels can also be found legally in full text thanks to the public domain. You can, for example, read the entirety of Cherry Ames' Island Nurse through Hathi Trust. More interesting, though, is that much like books like 17th Summer, career novels are a magnifying glass to a very specific demographic at a very specific time in American history. It is very white, it's middle class, and it reflects the values and cultural narratives surrounding proper girlhood prior to marriage. Though there are books featuring black girls, the Mary Ellis series being a great example, the histories and legacies of those stories and authors They haven't been anthologized or memorialized in the same capacity. It's quite likely there are fans and scholars working in those areas of literary history, though, as is probably obvious at this point, their voices and insights are not yet at the same level as those who are white. What is it we haven't discovered yet, and what can we hope to see as more scholars highlight what has long been buried? It's also, of course, worth noting that until the emergence of the problem novel, the bulk of books targeting teen girl readers were romance, reaffirming the idea that it's normal to engage in heteronormative practices and to put one's own desires to the side as soon as love enters the picture, even if the authors themselves didn't follow that script. If this topic interests you and you want to explore further, I've included a number of resources in the show notes, and the span of career novels is especially fascinating. Though, as mentioned earlier, the number of careers that were feminine in nature and lower in pay definitely exceed the more well-paying careers. Where we have such an emphasis on STEM and encouraging underrepresented genders in science, technology, math, and engineering today, those were mostly absent in career books, unless they were seen as, quote, lesser or more, quote-unquote, mothering in nature, so something like nursing. 
As always, thank you all for tuning in to today's episode. You can support the show by rating it on Apple Podcasts, which, which lets us know how we're doing and helps other people find us. Big thanks to Jen Zink, audio editor extraordinaire, for making today's episode sound good, and a thank you to our sponsor for making this episode possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram at HeyKellyJensen. If this is a topic you are passionate about or know of more titles featuring teens of color especially, I'd love to hear about them. Feel free to get in touch with me. And if you want more information, again, check the show notes. I've put a whole bunch of sources in there. So... Thank you again and happy reading. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye.